Chapter twenty three of Discoveries Among the Ruins of Nineveh and Babylon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Chad Horner from Ballyclare in County Antrim, Northern Ireland, situated in the north east of the island of Ireland. Discoveries Among the Ruins of Nineveh and Babylon by Austin Henry Laird. Chapter twenty three State of the Ruins of Babylon cause of the disappearance of buildings nature of original edifices babylonian bricks the history of babylon its fall its remarkable position commerce canals and roads skill of babylonians in the arts engraved gems corruption of manners and consequent fall of the city the mecca pilgrimage sheikh ibn rashid the jebel shamar the mines of el hamer of anana such then were the discoveries amongst the ruins of ancient babylon they were far less numerous and important than i could have anticipated nor did they tend to prove that there were remains beneath the heaps of earth and rubbish which would reward more extensive excavations it was not even possible to trace the general plan of any one edifice only shapeless piles of masonry and isolated walls and piers were brought to light giving no clue whatever to the original form of the buildings to which they belonged if the tradition be true that Xerxes, to punish the babylonians and humiliate their priests ordered them utterly to destroy their temples and other great public edifices and that alexander the great employed ten thousand men in vain to clear away the rubbish from the temple of belus alone it is not surprising that with a small band of arabs little progress should have been made in uncovering any part of the ancient buildings new sculptures or inscribed slabs the panelling of the walls of palaces have been discovered amongst the ruins of babylon as in those of nineveh scarcely a detached figure in stone or a solitary tablet has been dug out of the vast heaps of rubbish babylon is fallen is fallen and all the graven images of her gods he hath broken unto the ground the complete absence of such remains is to be explained by the nature of the materials used in the erection of even the most costly edifices in the immediate vicinity of babylon there were no quarries of alabaster or of limestone such as existed near nineveh the city was built in the midst of an alluvial country far removed from the hills consequently stone for building purposes could only be obtained from a distance the black basalt a favorite material amongst the babylonians for carving detached figures and for architectural ornaments as appears from numerous fragments found amongst the ruins came from the kurdish mountains or from the north of mesopotamia it was probably floated down the euphrates and tigris on rafts from those districts the assyrian alabaster could have been brought from nineveh and the water communication by the rivers and canals offered great facilities for transport yet enormous labor and expense would have been required to supply such materials in sufficient quantities to construct an entire edifice or even to panel the walls of its chambers the babylonians were therefore content to avail themselves of the building materials which they found on the spot with the tenacious mud of their alluvial plains mixed with chopped straw they made bricks whilst bitumen and other substances collected from the immediate neighbourhood furnished them with an excellent cement a knowledge of the art of manufacturing glaze and of compounding colours enabled them to cover their bricks with a rich enamel thereby rendering them equally ornamental for the exterior and interior of their edifices the walls of their palaces and temples were also coated as we learn from several passages in the bible with mortar and plaster which 
judging from their cement, must have been of very fine quality. The fingers of the man's hand wrote the words of condemnation of the Babylonian Empire upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. Upon those walls were painted historical and religious subjects and various ornaments, and according to Diodorus Siculus, the bricks were enamelled with the figures of men and animals. Images of stone were no doubt introduced into the buildings. We learn from the Bible that figures of the gods in this material, as well as in metal, were kept in the Babylonian temples. But such sculptures were not common, otherwise more remains of them must have been discovered in the ruins. On one of the most important Babylonian relics brought to this country, we have some highly curious notices of the architecture of the Babylonians. They are contained in tablets inscribed upon a black stone and divided into ten columns. The inscription commences according to Dr. Hinks, with the name and titles of Nebuchadnezzar the Great, whose reign began. It may be inferred from Ptolemy's canon, B.C. 604. He is called Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, son of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. We may infer that his grandfather was not a king from the omission of his name. The subsequent part of the inscription contains no notice of any foreign conquests, but speaks of the building of various temples and palaces, in addition to the walls of Babylon and Borsippa. If the tablets could be completely deciphered, and the meaning of many doubtful words accurately ascertained, much information would be obtained relating to Babylonian architecture. The walls were built of burned brick and bitumen, lined with gypsum and other materials. Some seem to have been wainscoted. Over these walls was woodwork, and on the top an awning sustained by poles like the white, green, and blue hangings fastened with cords of fine linen and purple to silver rings and pillars of marble. In Ahasuerus's palace at Shushan, some of the woodwork is said to have been gilt, other parts silvered, and a large portion of it was brought from Lebanon. Marduk appears in this inscription as the principal deity of Babylon. Holding the place that Asher does on the monuments of Nineveh, he is called the Great Lord, Lord of Lord, Elder of the Gods, etc. Nebu seems to hold the second rank. The king offers him thanksgiving for what he has already done and prays for his blessing on himself and his house. It may be conjectured that in their general plan the Babylonian palaces and temples resembled those of Assyria. We know that the arts, the religion, the customs and the laws of the two kindred people were nearly identical. They spoke also the same language and used very nearly the same written characters. One appears to have borrowed from the other and without attempting to decide the question of priority of independent existence as a nation and of civilization, it can be admitted that they had to a certain extent a common origin and that they maintained for many centuries an intimate connection. We find no remains of columns at Babylon, as none have been found at Nineveh. If such architectural ornaments were used, they must have been either of wood or of brick. The massy pillars with Egyptian-like capitals, usually chosen by artists for the restoration of Belshazzar's palaces and temples, are the mere creations of fancy, and are not warranted by any existing remains whatever. The Babylonian column more probably resembled, in form and proportions, that of Nineveh and Persepolis. It may have been a modification of the Assyrian, which afterwards gave birth to the Persian. For it was through Babylon that the arts appear to have penetrated partly, if not entirely, into Persia. 
although the building materials thus used in the great edifices of babylon may seem extremely mean when compared to those employed in the stupendous palace temples of egypt and even in the less massive edifices of assyria yet the babylonians appear to have raised with them alone structures which excited the wonder and admiration of the most famous travellers of antiquity the profuse use of colour and the taste displayed in its combination and in the ornamental designs together with the solidity and vastness of the immense substructure upon which the buildings partly stood may have chiefly contributed to produce this effect upon the minds of strangers the palaces and temples like those of Nineveh, were erected upon lofty platforms of brickwork. The origin of Assyrian architecture, which I have elsewhere described, was especially that of Babylon. The bricks, as in Assyria, were either simply baked in the sun or were burnt in the kiln. The latter are of more than one shape and quality. Some are square, others are oblong. Those from the Burj Nimrud are generally of a dark red colour, whilst those from the Mujalibe are mostly of a light yellow specimens have been frequently brought to this country and are to be found in many public and private collections the babylonian inscribed bricks long excited the curiosity of the learned and gave rise to a variety of ingenious speculations as to their use and meaning but by some they were believed to be public documents others saw in the writing dedications to the gods or registers of gifts to temples the question has now been entirely set at rest by the discovery made by dr hinks that almost every brick hitherto obtained from the ruins of babylon bears the same inscription with the exception of one or two unimportant words and that they record the building of the city of nebuchadnezzar the son of nebuchadnezzar a few inscribed tablets of stone and baked clay figures in bronze and terracotta metal objects of various kinds and engraved cylinders and gems have been almost the only undoubted babylonian antiquities hitherto brought to europe such relics are preserved in many cabinets the small original collection in the british museum belonged partly to sir robert kerr porter and partly to mr rich it may not be out of place to add a few remarks upon the history of babylon the time of the foundation of this celebrated city is still a question which does not admit of a satisfactory determination and into which i will not enter some believe it to have taken place at a comparatively recent date but if as egyptian scholars assert the name of babylon is found on monuments of the eighteenth egyptian dynasty we have positive evidence of its existence at least in the fifteenth century before christ after the rise of the assyrian empire it appears to have been at one time under the direct rule of the kings of nineveh and at another to have been governed by its own independent chiefs expeditions against babylonia are recorded in the earliest inscriptions yet discovered in assyria and as it has been seen even in the time of sennacherib and his immediate predecessors large armies were still frequently sent against its rebellious inhabitants the babylonian kingdom was however almost absorbed in that of assyria the dominant power of the east when this great empire began to decline babylon rose for the last time media and persia were equally ready to throw off the assyrian yoke and at length the allied armies of syacares and the father of nebuchadnezzar captured and destroyed the capital of the eastern world babylon now rapidly succeeded to that proud position so long held by nineveh 
under nebuchadnezzar she acquired the power forfeited by her rival the bounds of the city were extended buildings of extraordinary size and magnificence were erected her victorious armies conquered syria and palestine and penetrated into egypt her commerce too had now spread far and wide from the east to the west and she became a land of traffic and a city of merchant but her greatness as an independent nation was short-lived the neighbouring kingdoms of media and persia united under one monarch had profited no less than babylon by the ruin of the assyrian empire and were ready to dispute with her the dominion of asia scarcely half a century had elapsed from the fall of nineveh when belshazzar the king of the chaldeans was slain and darius the median took the kingdom from that time babylonia sank into a mere province of persia after the defeat of darius and the overthrow of the persian supremacy babylon opened its gates to alexander who deemed the city not unworthy to become the capital of his mighty empire on his return from india he wished to rebuild the temple of belus which had fallen into ruins and in that great work he had intended to employ his army now no longer needed for war the priests however who had appropriated the venues of this sacred shrine and feared lest they would have again to apply them to their rightful purposes appeared to have prevented him from carrying out his design the last blow to the prosperity and even existence of babylon was given by seleucus when he laid the foundation of his new capital on the banks of the tigris b c three twenty two already patrocles his general had compelled a large number of the inhabitants to abandon their homes and to take refuge in the desert and in the province of Susiana, the city exhausted by the neighbourhood of Saluccia, returned to its ancient solitude according to some authors neither the walls nor the temple of belus existed any longer and only a few chaldeans continued to dwell around the ruins of their sacred edifices still however a part of the population appears to have returned to their former seats for in the early part of the second century of the christian era we find that the parthian king evemerus sending numerous families from babylon into media to be sold as slaves and burning many great and beautiful edifices still standing in the city in the time of augustus the city is said to have been entirely deserted except by a few jews who still lingered amongst the ruins st cyril of alexandria declares that in his day about the beginning of the fifth century in consequence of the choking up of the great canals derived from the euphrates babylon had become a vast marsh and fifty years later the river is described as having changed its course leaving only a small channel to mark its ancient bed then were verified the prophecies of isaiah and jeremiah that the mighty babylon should be but pools of water that the sea should come upon her and that she should be covered with the multitude of the waves thereof in the beginning of the seventh century at the time of the arab invasion the ancient cities of babylonia were a desolation a dry land and a wilderness amidst the heaps that marked the site of babylon herself there rose the small town of hilla long before babylon had overcome her rival nineveh she was famous for the extent and importance of her commerce no position could have then been more favourable than hers for carrying on a trade with all the regions of the known world even only moderate skill and enterprise could scarcely fail to make babylon not only the emporium of the eastern world but the main link of commercial intercourse between the east and the west the inhabitants did not neglect the advantages bestowed upon them by nature 
a system of navigable canals that may excite the admiration of even the modern engineer connected together the Euphrates and Tigris, those great arteries of her commerce, with a skill showing no common knowledge of the art of surveying and of the principles of hydraulics, the Babylonians took advantage of the different levels of the plains and of the periodical rises in the two rivers to complete the water communication between all parts of the province and to fertilize by artificial irrigation an otherwise barren and unproductive soil. Alexander, after he had transferred the seat to of his empire to the east, so fully understood the importance of these great works that he ordered them to be cleansed and repaired, and superintended the work in person, steering his boat with his own hand through the canals. High roads and causeways across the desert united Syria and Palestine with Babylonia. Fortified stations protected the merchant from the wandering tribes of Arabia. Walled cities served as resting places and storehouses, and wells at regular intervals gave an abundant supply of water during the hottest season of the year. One of those highways was carried through the centre of Mesopotamia and crossing the Euphrates near the town of Anthemusia, led into central Syria. A second appears to have left Babylon by the western quarter of the city and entered Idumea after passing through the country of the Nabathians. Others branched off to Tadmor and to cities which were built in the midst of the desert almost solely for purposes of trade. To the east of Babylonia was the celebrated military and commercial road described by Herodotus. It led from Sardis to Susa in ninety days' journey and was furnished at intervals of about fifty miles with stations and public hostelries, probably resembling the modern caravanserais of Persia. Merchandise and travellers descended the rivers upon rafts of skins, as well as in boats built of reeds coated with bitumen or of more solid materials. The land trade was no doubt principally carried on, as at the present day, by caravans of merchants who loaded their goods on the backs of camels, horses and asses. It is difficult to determine how far the Babylonians may have navigated in vessels the Indian Ocean. The various articles of merchandise stored in Babylon, the produce of the islands and shores of the Persian Gulf and even of India, formed no inconsiderable part. Pearls from the fisheries of Bahrain, which still supply Arabia, Persia and Turkey, and perhaps even from Ceylon, cotton, spices, frankincense, precious stones, ivory, ebony, silks and dyes, were amongst the objects of trade brought to her markets. They could only have been obtained from the southern coasts of Arabia, and directly or indirectly from the Indian peninsula. We learn from the Kuyunjik inscriptions that the people inhabiting the country at the mouths of the united waters of the Tigris and Euphrates possessed vessels in which, when defeated by the Assyrians, they took refuge on the sea. The prophet Isaiah also alludes to the ships of the Chaldeans. Timber for shipbuilding could have been floated with ease from the mountains of Armenia to the very quays of Babylon, or to her ports at the head of the Persian Gulf. A race of dogs, much prized by the Babylonians, was brought from India. A satrap of Babylon is declared to have devoted the revenues of four cities to the support of a number of these animals. On a small terracotta tablet in the British Museum from Colonel Rawlinson's collection, obtained, I believe, at Baghdad, but probably found in some ancient ruin in the neighbourhood, is the figure of a man leading a large and powerful dog, which has been identified with a species still existing in Tibet. Tin, cedar wood and various articles were brought from Phoenicia and other parts of Syria, which were in return supplied 
with the produce of india and the persian gulf through babylon whilst the babylonians thus imported the produce of the east and west they also supplied foreign countries with many valuable articles of trade corn which according to tradition first grew wild in mesopotamia and was there first eaten by man was cultivated to a great extent and was sent to distant provinces the babylonian carpets silks and woolen fabrics woven or embroidered with figures of mythic animals and with exquisite designs were not less famous for the beauty of their texture and workmanship than for the richness and variety of their colours the much prized sindanese or flowing garments were the work of the looms of babylon even long after she had ceased to be a city the engraved gems and cylinders discovered in the ruins bear ample witness to the skill of the babylonian lapidaries many of these relics exist in european collections and during my residence at hilla i was able to obtain several interesting specimens from the arabs who usually pick them up on the mounds after rain the most remarkable of them is a cylinder of spotted cyanite upon which are incised seven figures and a few babylonian characters the letters of the inscription are rudely formed and have not yet been deciphered another interesting gem obtained by me at babylon is an agate cone upon the base of which is engraved a winged priest or deity standing in an attitude of prayer before a cock on an altar above this group is the crescent moon the hebrew commentators conjecture that nirgal the idol of the men of kuth had the form of a cock the vast trade that rendered babylon the gathering place of men from all parts of the known world and supplied her with luxuries from the remotest climes had at the same time the effect of corrupting the manners of her people and producing that general profligacy and those effeminate customs which mainly contributed to her fall the description given by herodotus of the state of the population of the city when under the dominion of the persian kings is fully sufficient to explain the cause of her speedy decay and ultimate ruin the account of the greek historian fully tallies with the denunciations of the hebrew prophets against the sin and wickedness of babylon her inhabitants had gradually lost their warlike character when the persians broke into the city they were revelling in debauchery and lust and when the macedonian conqueror appeared at their gates they received with indifference the yoke of a new master it is not difficult to account for the rapid decay of the country around babylon as the inhabitants deserted the city the canals were neglected when once those great sources of fertility were choked up the plains became a wilderness upon the waters conveyed by their channels to the innermost parts of mesopotamia depended not only the harvests the gardens and the palm groves but the very existence of the numerous towns and villages far removed from the river banks they soon turned to mere heaps of earth and rubbish vegetation ceased and the plains parched by the burning heat of the sun were ere long once again a vast arid waste such has been the history of babylon her career was equally short and splendid and although she had thus perished from the face of the earth her ruins are still classic indeed sacred ground the traveller visits with no common emotion those shapeless heaps the scene of so many great and solemn events in this plain according to tradition the primitive families of our race first found a resting place here nebuchadnezzar boasted of the glories of his city and was punished for his pride to these deserted halls were brought the captives of judea in them daniel undazzled by the glories around him remained steadfast to his faith rose to be a governor amongst his rulers 
and prophesied the downfall of the kingdom. There was held Belshazzar's feast, and was seen the writing upon the wall. Between those crumbling mounds, Cyrus entered the neglected gates. Those massive ruins cover the spot where Alexander died. Soon after my arrival at Hilla, the caravan of the Hajj, or annual pilgrimage to Mecca, passed through the town on its way to Baghdad. The holy places had this year been visited by the cholera, and of the many who had crossed the desert, few had survived. In the crowd that had assembled on the high road were mingled scenes of grief and joy. The mournful wail of the woman was heard above the merry laugh of those who had again found their friends. The wild Bedouins of Nigd, who had guided and protected the pilgrims during their arduous journey, passed through the throng on their weary dromedaries. After a lapse of some years, the annual Hajj from the south of Turkey and Persia, had been able to follow the direct road to Mecca across the desert of Nijd and the interior of Arabia. Since Ibn Rashid, a chief of the Jebel Shamar, has by his courage and abilities acquired the whole of that district, and has rendered himself sufficiently powerful to hold and check the various tribes which surround it, pilgrims under his protection could, therefore, again venture to take the shortest road to Mecca. He undertook to furnish them with camels, and to answer for their safety from Hilla to the holy cities and back the chief punctually fulfilled his engagement and the caravan i have described was the first that had crossed the desert for many years without accident or molestation it was under the charge of abdurrahman a relation of ibn rashid i frequently saw this sheikh during his short residence at hilla and he urged me to return with him to the jemal shamar zaid and several other agales offered to accompany me and it was with great regret that I felt unable, on various accounts, to undertake a journey into a country so little known and so interesting as Central Arabia. A better opportunity could scarcely have occurred for entering Nijd. Sheikh Abirrahman described the Jebel Shamar as abounding in fertile valleys, where the Arabs have villages and cultivated lands. The inhabitants are of the same great tribe of Shamar, and those who wander over the plains of Mesopotamia. Sutton told me that his family still possessed their gardens in the hills, and although from long absence their produce had been gathered by strangers, yet that he could by law at any time return and claim them. Ibn Rashid was described to me as a powerful and foreign Arab, an enlightened chief, who had restored security to the country, and who desired to encourage trade and the passage of caravans through his territories. His mares and horses, collected from the tribes of Central Arabia, were declared to exile all those of the desert in beauty and in blood. Hawking and hunting are his favourite amusements, and game abounds in the hills and plains. Amongst the wild animals are lions, leopards, deer, and a kind of ox or large antelope. I could not learn exactly which, called Wotaya, said to have long spiral horns, and to be exceedingly fierce and dangerous. I was assured that in the Jebel Shamar there are ruins of large cities, attributed by the Arabs to the Jews. Inscriptions in an unknown character are also said to exist on slabs of stone and on rocks. They may be that class called Himyari, found in other parts of the Arabian Peninsula. About two hours and a half or eight miles to the northeast of Hilla, a mound, scarcely inferior in size to those of Babylon, rises in the plain. It is called El Hymer, meaning, according to the Arabs, the red from its color. The ruin has assumed a pyramidal form but it is evidently the remains of a solid square structure consisting like the burr's nimrud of a series of terraces or platforms 
it may be conjectured therefore that it was a sacred edifice built upon the same general plan as all the temples of babylonia and syria the basement or substructure appears to have been of sun-dried brick the upper part and probably the casing of the lower of bricks burnt in the kiln many of the latter are inscribed with the name and titles of nebuchadnezzar although the masonry is solid and firmly bound together it is not united by a white cement like that of the mujalibe the same tenacious mud that was used for making the bricks has been daubed as far as i could ascertain between each layer the ruin is traversed like the bears by square holes to admit air around the centre structure are scattered smaller mounds and heaps of rubbish covered with the usual fragments of pottery glass and bricks opposite to the mujalibe or kasir on the western bank of the euphrates is a village called anana and near it a quadrangle of earthen ramparts like the remains of a fortified enclosure a large mass of brick masonry is still seen in the river bed when the stream is low the inhabitants of the village brought me a fragment of black stone with a rosette ornament upon it very assyrian in character with the exception of these remains and the bears nimrud there are scarcely any ruins of ancient buildings on the arabian side of the euphrates on the eastern bank low mounds covered with broken pottery and glass are found in almost every direction one resembles another and there is nothing either in their appearance or in their contents as far as they have hitherto been ascertained deserving of particular description they only prove how vast and thriving the population of this part of mesopotamia must at one time have been and how complete is the destruction that has fallen upon this devoted land end of chapter twenty three recording by chad horner from ballyclare in county antrim northern ireland situated in the north-east of the island of ireland